I preached this, uh, I preached from Nehemiah three years ago in a series that we did uh, looking through, we went through the, the whole church is reading through a, a Bible reading program that was foundational chapters and passages in the Bible, not every single chapter. <clears throat> and as we did that, I would preach every week, the church was reading the same sections of the Bible, and I, we, whoever was preaching would pick from one of those. And I did uh, Nehemiah 3, so I, <laughs> I have read through this before, but I went back and had to read them aloud, and it's hard. It's hard. So bear with me as we get some of these Hebrew words, because I never took Hebrew in seminary because I was always deathly afraid of it because it goes backwards. You know what I'm talking about? It goes from right to left. I have enough trouble with left to right, when it, especially with poems. Whew. But here we go. Let's see what the Lord has for us in Nehemiah 3. <clears throat> then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hesena'ah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. Next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshezabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, Zadok, the son of Ba'ana. That's how you say that. It sounds like banana, doesn't it? Ba'ana, repaired. <clears throat> next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Joyada, the son of Paseah, and Mashalim, the son of Besadeah, repaired the gate of Yeshana. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. Next to them repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Yadon, the Maranathite. And the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Harhiah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Raphiah, the son of Hur, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Haramoth, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hatush, the son of Hashbineah, repaired. Malkijah, the son of Hiram, and Hasab, the son of... Pathan Moab repaired another section, <clears throat> repaired another section and the Tower of the Ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired, he and his daughters. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They built it and set its doors, its bolts, its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall for as far as the dung gate. Malkijah, the son of Rakab, Ruler of the district of Beth Cherim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kolhaza, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its, bar, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah of the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, 
ruler of half of, the half, of half the district of Beth-zur, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired, Rehum, the son of Bani. Next to him, Hashabiah, ruler of half the district of Kilah, repaired, repaired for his district. After him, their brothers repaired, Bavaiah, Bavai, the son of Henadad, ruler of the half-district of Kelah, Kila. Next to him, Ezra, the son of Yeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the armory of the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, Meramoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area repaired. After them, Benjamin and Hashub repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Maaseiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. After him, Binui, the son of Henadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. Palal, the son of Uzai, Uzai, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king to the court of the guard. After him, Pediah, the son of Parash, and the temple servants living on Aphel, repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east and the projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Aphel. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, Zadok, the son of Immer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the, son, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. After him, Meshullam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Melchizedek, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants, opposite the muster gate, and to the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate and goldsmiths, the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. Lord, please help us gain how, even though we read a lot of names in here, uh, Lord... We're reminded that our name is written in your book, the book of life. And God, we ask that we would be inspired by your spirit, empowered and anointed to walk out the task that you have in front of us, in front of our house, so to speak, in front of us side by side within the relationships that you blessed us with as a church. So Lord, we ask that you would please give us understanding from what uh, many times as we're reading through the Bible, we just we kind of glance over things. God, help us. You put these names in here for a reason. And, and our names are to be, uh, our names are in your sights, in your mouth as well. So help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A frequent question that I ask of myself and different settings that I'll be in if I'm catching up with somebody. I'd like to ask the question, what's going on in your heart? What's the Lord doing? What's the Lord have his finger on? 
in your life? Are you aware of that? And so much, so much, uh, much of our existence is go, 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 or survive, survive, survive. We have little kids. Can I just have enough unbroken sleep to be able to feel like I can function the next day? So we, we do these things, and, and days, weeks, months, perhaps years can go by where we still don't, don't ask the Lord, what are you doing? But what happens in that moment, I think, is that we get comfortable, and actually, uh, more often than not, we get spiritually lethargic. Because we're not asking, it's not a continual, <clears throat> God, what are you doing? What, what do you have your finger on in my, in my heart, in my life? What, what about your character do I need to see bigger because uh, something in, in me needs to be lessened by me looking, staring at your character in that way? And this, when the spiritual lethargy takes place, we don't put ourselves in God's crosshairs anymore. Like he's, he's coming after our hearts still. And when we repent and we receive Christ for salvation, that's not the end of the story. It's the beginning, right? And we have all eternity ahead that we'll learn of the glory and the grace and the goodness of God. But he's doing something in us. He still pursues our hearts. That's what the story of Nehemiah is doing. God is pursuing the hearts of his people who have been staring at destruction for decades. Some of them their entire lives because maybe they were born in, <clears throat> in Jerusalem to the remnant that was left when most of them got carried away into Babylon, which then was Persia, and now we're in the Persian Empire that Nehemiah is serving in. They're staring at destruction. We get, we stare, we've been through that, through the hurricane rubble. You start getting used to seeing, you turn down your street, you're used to seeing piles in the front, and the smell doesn't bother you anymore. Just kind of roll with it. My question really is, are we doing that in our spiritual lives? Is there, is there a, a, a mound of stuff that maybe is blocking our view from what God wants to accomplish? And how, how he wants to get our attention because he's going after something deep inside of us. We don't want to lose our spiritual sensitivity. We want to know what God is doing in our hearts. And what I appreciate, we ended the last chapter in chapter 2 with the men of the city after Nehemiah said, it's time to rebuild. They said, let us, let's do it. Let's rise and build. The same ones that were staring at the destruction, now there's faith to say, let's, let's get this done. But what we read here, because of all these names in chapter 3, is everybody participated. Everybody participated. They didn't, uh, they, maybe their spiritual sensitivity was awakened or reawakened and they recognized, oh, there's more. There's, there's a good work for us to do. There's a bigger vision of God's work. Let's get that done. When we become casual uh, with what God wants to do in our lives, we, we actually miss what he's doing. And when change doesn't occur in our lives over an amount of time, and we endure, and we endure, and change doesn't happen, uh, that's when the spiritual lethargy sets in. I'm just staring at the same stuff. It's still not gone. I remember for uh, last year after Ida, our hope was every time we'd come down the street from home, that all the piles would be gone because we'd see the trucks on different streets. But it's like we had this hope. Maybe today it'll be gone. But we don't want to settle. We don't want to stay in a place that is insensitive so the spirits move in our hearts. God calls us all to his work. He redeems us and he says, there's gospel work for you to do. That's the, that's the biggest caption we find in chapter three. The title of the message is gospel work. 
We, we looked at having an inferior fellowship with God that he wants to restore, and we have need effective prayer. That means that we, uh, in the second half of chapter 1, we experience God's presence in prayer. That prayer is for the experience of his presence. It's not, it's not only petition. It is that. But when we are with him, we learn to pray his heart back to him. And then... Uh, chapter 2, we looked at having a sincere evaluation. We need to be real what's going on because there's a gospel work that we need to do that God's called us all to. But gospel work is this. It's the restoration and experience of his presence. So for us who are believers, uh, and I think it's in two categories, God's going after both. For those who are believers... We're experiencing God's presence, so God's doing a gospel work to make sure that we continue to experience his presence. Keep on experiencing it. Is, is there sin in the way? Is there uh, sorrow preventing you? Let's minister to one another. Let's care for one another in order to see uh, the gospel work of his restoration and experience of his presence. But for the lost, for unbelievers that we want to share the gospel light to in, in our actions and our words... We want them to be restored to God's presence, just like we were when we prayed to receive Christ. We repented of our sins. What happened? We transferred from the gospel, uh, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, the domain of darkness. Light is there. Restoration took place. And so the gospel work is restoration. Now, what we find, in a couple of weeks, Sean's going to take us through chapter 5, because in chapter 5, we find that there is a restoration that God's people do that shows up in particular categories of our lives uh, outside of the church. And so this restoration, we, we image restoration through our serving of one another as well as to the community that we're around. We image that, and that's part of God's plan to restore his presence and have us experience his presence. His presence. So Nehemiah 3 is a picture of gospel work. The high priest's name, Eliashib, means God restores. Isn't that cool how God has those little nuggets there all the time? He's got, I, I just I can't wait for heaven to go with Jesus. I, just, I, this, I think this is going to be my only request. Jesus, can you take me on the road to Emmaus like you did for the two disciples? And you unpacked from the prophets and the law, all the scriptures pertaining to yourself, I really would like to know that. that that's, I think, going to be my request for Jesus. As, but I'll probably be too busy worshiping him and forget. No, I don't need that anymore. I'm just going to worship Jesus. I see him. This is great. But God restores and deepens our fellowship with him in his presence. And God will not settle. I love this about God. He will not settle for anything less than his full and empowering presence effective in our lives. James 4 tells us that God yearns jealously over the spirit he made to dwell in us. He wants us to experience the oneness that he has in the fellowship of the, the Trinity, the Godhead. But I think just to, to help us understand what's happening in this, uh, to simplify it, there are three elements of gospel work that we see in this chapter. The first one is community. The second is commitment. And the third is consecration. The first is community. We have everybody doing something. They're all together. But we first see this in servant leadership. Eliashib is the high priest. He's the one that's designated to go into the, the Holy of Holies on that one day of year, the Day of Atonement, to make an offering for the sins of the people. On He gets to see the Ark of God. That's pretty cool. But he's also, he's the spiritual leader of 
Jerusalem, but it started with his leadership. But what's he doing? He's not simply directing everybody. He's doing the work. And he got his brothers along with him who were priests. And then we read later on that the Levites were repairing, while the Levites were the priestly uh, family that took care of God's things in his city so his people could experience his his presence. So we have servant leadership evidenced in the community that's there. Also individuality and diversity. And I love this about how God does it. When, when we come to Christ for salvation, we don't morph into the same person. And we don't have all these copies, these ditto copies of one personality. We still maintain our individualism and our personalities. That's why Somebody who, who, in the body of Christ, you have an LSU fan and an Alabama fan in the same church, and you can get along. God does that stuff. And I think God's way laughing at us <laughs> at all of that stuff. But, but we get to keep our individuality. He doesn't erase our minds, and we all think the same and look the same and talk the same and now, because when we come across people like that, it's weird. It's like, uh, <laughs> I don't know about, uh, we don't want to do that. We don't want to spout off the same things. God, just like he used all the individuals who wrote the scriptures, he used their voice to write the scriptures. That's why when you look in the original language, it sounds different. Like First Peter to Second Peter. Peter, the apostle Peter, what a man for us to, to have an example of what it's like to live for Jesus, but also how to be restored to Jesus when he makes some big mistakes. But first Peter is written in the new original language Greek written, very flowing style. Second Peter is like somebody cut and pasted things out of nowhere. It, it is the, it's clunky. It doesn't make sense. But I think Peter dictated the first letter and somebody was able to put his words in order, I think the second letter he wrote, and that gives us an indication, he was just a regular dude. He was a fisherman. And he had his own slang. And he had his own words that he used for stuff. And it's in the Bible. I love that. It's a beauty of God because God is diverse. We see that in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. He's, he's showing that, but as he welcomes us in, it's diverse. And you still get to be you, your individual. Now, that doesn't mean we get to stay. We all have to be looking like Jesus, right? It doesn't mean we physically have to look like him. But it means you know, we, wanna, we want to be transformed every day into who Jesus is, into his character, into his love and his mercy and his grace. So it's not an excuse to say, this is just who I am. God knew what he got when he got me. So, huh? No, we, have to, we need to be transformed. Into the, into the image that we're looking at in him. But within this individuality, individuality and diversity, what I love about this chapter, I think my favorite part, is that there were goldsmiths working on the wall and perfumers. Now, I, all the guys are like, perfumer? Must have been a feminine dude. I don't know. Can't, I'm not sure exactly. I mean, perfumers, were they would make ointments for, to, for burial. They, it was a whole slew of things. Uh, they were medical ointments. So smart guys who <laughs> were the perfumers, goldsmiths. But what we find here is that they're doing, they're not all construction workers. And they don't wait for the construction workers to come. They had a role that they played. We also see rulers. 
rulers are all over the place. The ruler of this area, the ruler of that area, the ruler of this area, rebuilt right here. We have, uh, again, servant leadership, but he's showing. I love the fact that they brought in. Oh, he and his daughters built that. I love that. It's a picture. It's family. Let's get together for gospel work because God wants us to do this. This is a good work. But listen, God does not require of us what he doesn't first supply the grace to accomplish. God does not require of us what he doesn't give us the grace to walk out and accomplish. So many times I think we, get, we feel like we get our orders from God and we go out and do it, but it hasn't maybe been relying fully upon his power, his grace for the task ahead. But even within our individuality or diversity, we do different things. Everybody is called to the gospel work of restoring God's presence. We also see within this community, humility. Uh, we see that because one with the rulers who are repairing, but uh, people from outside the area of Jerusalem came in to help. They left their farmland. They left what they were doing in order to come help rebuild. But we also have a ruler that repaired the dung gate. Remember, this is the refuse gate. This is where all the garbage and all the, the fecal matter of the entire city went out to uh, when Jesus referred to Gehenna in the New Testament. That was where all the refuse went, where fires were burning. Sadly, people lived there uh, who were too poor to afford anything else. But, but that's where this is. A ruler does that. He doesn't wait for somebody else. That's a dirty job. He's like, I'll do it. I'll do it. The brag on my daughter, Molly. Uh, years ago, we were on a missions trip in Mexico to the Rancho 3M, the orphanage that we've been supporting for years. Uh, Molly was uh, maybe a sophomore, junior in high school, could have been younger. And the, the one lady got some of the girls together and said, okay, look, we're going to, while this is happening over here, we're going to clean Every day, we're just going to clean the bathrooms, make sure just uh, for, that we're staying in, make sure we clean everything, everything's good. And so she asked, this lady who was coordinating said, all right, who would like to do the toilets? And Molly went, I'll do it. I was like, all right, good job. <laughs> and then she realized, I mean, as, as much as our kids hemmed and hawed about having to clean, I got to clean. They all of a sudden, they didn't feel good. They were hungry, had to go to the bathroom for three hours. It's like, oh, clean. So when I saw that, I said, Molly, good job. She said, yeah, I understand what mom was doing. Still don't like cleaning, but she did it. She did it well, and she served well. And that's, that's what it takes to do this. Like, we have to do what people don't want to do. Because look, in verse, where is that? Look in verse 5. Next to them, the Tekoites repaired but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. That's an indictment. Oh, I'm too good for this. Um, uh, no, no, I don't need that. That's dangerous for us in our experience. I think that's what we stare at. Uh, we just think that we're above things or that's how we don't put ourselves in God's crosshairs. Like, hey, God wants to us, he, he, he wants us to pursue his presence, but that means we have to stoop. You know Why? Because Jesus stooped into our mess, becoming one of us to redeem us and set us on a course and a mission for gospel work. And it's the greatest life we can live. In whatever context God's calling us to walk that out. We don't want to be too superior 
to help others. But listen, we don't want to be so self-sufficient that we don't let God have access into what's going on. So in this community, there's servant leadership, individuality, and humility that we want, even in our church, we want to see that come together. The second uh, element that we see of of the gospel work is commitment. There's a unity taking place in this chapter. We see that with uh, those outside the city coming into the city to help out. Uh, They had their own work. They had their own excuses to not come. But yet everybody was together. Everybody saw the greater vision that needed to be accomplished and they sacrificed for it. Uh, Back to um, example in in Mexico, missions trips. For years when we were part of uh, Lakeview Christian Center across the lake before coming over here to start, the church, we went to uh, a bunch of mission trips in Mexico, and there were building projects. And even at the ranch that we've gone to, there are always building projects that we're doing. Sometimes we go into villages and actually build them a church. We'd get there, and the cinder block walls were already set, and we'd uh, put a roof, shutters on the windows, and make pews for the church. And that's what we spent our week doing as we, yeah, smiling. You remember this? This is fun. <laughs> um, we, we would go and then have every night uh, preach the gospel. And people are coming to Christ. And then the last night, oh man, the last night of the trip, we would do a dedication of that building. And it was just so awesome to see these people who had been praying for a church to be in their village. And, and it's there. And they're celebrating in that. And the new believers are coming to celebrate in that. And they're getting their family members from different villages and they're coming to celebrate God's work. Just really cool stuff. But one time... What seemed to happen, one year we were at the ranch, and there was a, like a lot of work that was done. And I asked the guys in construction, in any context, in a week, do you accomplish anything like this? To a man, they said, absolutely not. It's like, why not? What makes it different here? What makes, we're, we're here, and all of a sudden, I remember, uh, man, many years ago, now almost 20 years ago, we went and built a school for the ranch. And it was two weeks. We had a set of guys went one week, a set of guys went the next. Two weeks, built a school. Crazy stuff. I mean, like air-conditioned ducts run, painting, everything. It was, uh, it was amazing to see the work because when we got there, again, just cinder block walls. That's all they had. Those were really long buildings. So as we're doing the work, I asked, why, why does it happen this way? And they started saying, because there's a different mind to work here. People aren't fighting to be the boss. He says, but, but there, there's a presence that we feel that when we're working together, we really do work as one man and we just do the work. And God blesses that work. And so I've always remembered that, of course, because that's what it looks like for us to be committed to gospel work in the church. God supplies the grace and the power to get it all done. He supplies the faith. He supplies the peace for the accomplish, to, to accomplish the vision of what God wants. Now, in this commitment, we also see that there are several people that repaired multiple sections. They repaired another section. That's cool. They got finished their stuff, and then it wasn't time. Okay, see you later. I'll go back to my life. They looked for where the needs were. So part of being in a, a community that's committed to that community is looking for the needs. And looking to uh, build up and supply for those needs. And we also see within the commitment, there's an endurance that they had. They kept at the work. Uh, there was one guy that, that 
forgot to write the verse down. He said uh, all the cubits that he built uh, comes out to be 1,500 feet. This one guy built, he rebuilt 1,500 feet of that wall. That's pretty special. There's an endurance because why? They saw the greater vision of what God wanted. But the third element I think we see is that there's a consecration to this. You remember we, last week we, with the doors, uh, the gates that needed to be rebuilt, we can kind of think of those as doctrinal elements, just what we believe about God and, and how we uh, approach him in our mind. And as we read scripture, what do we think about God accurately? But the, the gaps in the wall seems to be more of the, the relational elements that we have. And when there's a gap, there could be a a broken, a broken relationship. But as they're rebuilding, and we see this with the gates, the bars, and the doors, the bolts, they came to it and said, and they consecrated it. That word originally means to make holy. Like this is consecrated. <coughs> Excuse me. This, this is God's now. Because they recognize, one, this is God's work. But as that carries through, remember... These, these faithful people of God who rebuilt had to be looking not for what they were going to experience from the rebuilding of the wall, but for the generations after them. And that's, that's part of what we want to do as a church. We, we want to build a church that leaves the reward of the gospel work to our children's children. We want to, we, we want to pass this down. We want to look to see how, how can my contribution right now be consecrated in order to make what I'm putting my hands to consecrated, holy. This is God's because then when people get in contact with us, whether they visit or when we go out, listen, they're getting in touch with God's holiness in that moment. They're getting in touch with God's presence that will spark an interest and a desire in their hearts to say, I need more of this. But we have to come to the place of saying, I want more of this. I want more of what God has. So we want to be a community together. We want to be committed to that community. And listen, we want this work to be holy. God's work. Because the gospel work is God's holy work of bringing Jesus to the nations. And we want to do that first in our own hearts. So in conclusion, here's what I'm asking us all to consider. Consider, find your spot in this church to build. Find your spot to serve. Find your spot to, to have a holy conse- uh, consecration. I want to honor Diane Rose, who has served in that sound booth faithfully for 10 years. And uh, Yes, thank you, honey. A few weeks ago, she said, you know what? I think I need a break. And we said, you, you can, yes, Absolutely. You can be blessed with a break. But that means this. We need other people. And you see the little announcement, the serve categories that comes through. It's on the digital bulletin. Find a place. We have multiple places for you to serve. And now is the time for us to say, how do we do this? How do we do it in a way that's going to build God's place for the experience of his presence? Because we don't want everybody. Look, when you sign up, it's not signing up for life. We want, we, there's a breathability to it. We're understanding if something gets, but we want to serve. Amen. We want to serve. 
So your, your response to this message is go on the digital bulletin and sign a place to serve. <laughs> we always need help in children's ministry. We are desperate for help in children's ministry. So even if you're like, I can never, oh, God might be telling you right now, I'm teasing. But we just be willing. Be willing. I, I don't know how to be with kids. Well, the perfumer didn't know how to build a wall. God gives us the grace for the task he, he has ahead of us for the gospel work. Uh, if you think about children's ministry this way, it is unbelievers who come to our church every single week that you get to share the gospel with and see lights come on and see uh, uh, make an investment in their own hearts that leaves a reward. I got saved at 11 years old, sitting in the back of children's church. It's a good ministry. It really is. So that is how we move on and apply this message. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for calling us to be together as a church. Thank you for the relationships that we have. Thank you for how they, they uh, lengthen and deepen and the, they, they get broad in our hearts. God, so I ask that you continue to make uh, room in our hearts for one another and the connections that we have. But God, we ask that you would accomplish your work in us in order to see your work go through us with the gospel work that you're doing. So I pray that we would be a genuine community experiencing your presence, committed to one another because we're committed to you. But Lord, ultimately and most importantly, we want to do a, a holy work. <coughs> we want to be holy people doing a holy work. So make us that for your glory. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's be reminded of Jesus' words to his disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. God bless us.